Thank you. It's good to be here again. Um, <clears throat> I think we need to do this, okay? That is an awesome song. Uh, can you imagine that scene in heaven where we will be worshiping around that throne, acknowledging him who sits on the throne as our King of kings and Lord of lords, as our master, as our redeemer, because, it's because of him we'll be there. And I think even now, that's going on around the throne of, of heaven. And we come to acknowledge, let me say, to anyone here this morning, <clears throat> if you haven't determined where you're going to spend eternity, this might be a good day. So as we talk about some things, I pray that you would open your heart to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and trust Him as your Savior and trust Him as your Lord. So let's just pray together, okay? Just bow for a moment of silence and now lead us as we pray. <clears throat> Father, when we visualize that scene in our mind's eye, we are overwhelmed because it is there we see you in all of your greatness. And we understand that those worshipers around that throne are there because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus and because of the redemption that is in his name alone. So, Father, we don't want to waste that vision this morning. And I pray that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who has not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today they would settle the issue of where they'll spend eternity. Oh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to draw, to pull us to yourself today to draw those who do not know you to come to knowledge of you and for those of us who know you, that you would draw us into a deeper relationship that we might love you and serve you all the days of our lives. We pray now that you would take this service, bless every aspect of what is going to be said and done, and may Jesus be Lord of all. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as you can hear, not real sure about my voice. Uh, I contracted a, a very rare form of asthma in the last 15 months or so, uh, thanks to 2020 partially. And um, I had no idea. I have no idea when this is going to come on. And I preached once and it doesn't, I was fine. But in between times, well, we'll see. So uh, just pray that we can, we can get through this. It's good to be back with you, and I appreciate Jonathan allowing me to be here. Uh, he's invited me before. Um, I think he wants me, he's going to invite me till I get it right. And so <laughs> you may see me again on occasions, and I hope he's having a great time with his family. Uh, you have a great pastor. You need to know that. I, th I think you know that already. And uh, he is a great preacher. 
He's a great person, and that preaching flows out of that. And also, he is a, he is a great leader. So I want to challenge you this morning. So I can tell you what I want to tell you and leave, and you don't know which car is mine, which vehicle is mine. So I can tell you, make you all mad, stare up the beehive, and, and go. But let me just say to you, love this guy and his family, and I know you do. Take care of them. If you take care of your pastor, God will take care of the church. Now, that's the mini sermon before we get to the real sermon. Okay, we want to talk this morning about what makes you tick and what ticks you off. Let me tell you where this sermon came from. Last Sunday, your pastor was preaching in Acts chapter 16. By the way, a great message, a great message. And when he got to verse 18, he mentioned about Paul becoming perturbed or becoming disturbed at this this woman or teenage girl probably who was being uh, was in in uh, bondage to a spirit a a a a spirit of divination a spirit out of the pits of hell to be honest with you and she is causing trouble and so he addressed he talked about that and that stuck in my mind all week long and i wanted to you know i love the book of acts by the way I have, uh, being a missional strategist with the Jacksonville Baptist Association, I have a, a library on missiology and on missions. My favorite book is the book of Acts because it is there, the Gospels and Acts, we really see ministry as it should be done. And so it is a great, it is not just, you know, we get introduced when you're in a college class, you get introduced to Acts as a book of history. No, it's a book of missions. And so Paul is on mission and he has an encounter with this woman and he became perturbed. Well, all week long, it just stuck in my mind. I love the book of Acts. Wherever I go, I usually preach on missions. But I tell you this morning, this is new, this is new territory for me. I've never preached this. Well, I'll take that back. I preached this sermon once. About an hour ago, okay? <laughs> and um, I'd never know when I preach a sermon twice, they never come out the same. You know, it's kind of like a recipe. You got the recipe, but just, you know, there's so many factors. You just, maybe it's going to turn out decent, maybe it's not. So I don't know what it's going to look like. But we're going to talk about what makes you tick and what ticks you off. The reason being... Paul became perturbed, and we're going to visit two scenes, chapter 16, verse 18. Well, we're going to read verses 16 through 18, where Paul has that encounter that Pastor Jonathan mentioned last week. And we want to go back to one verse, verse 18, because that helps us understand that sometimes it's okay to be perturbed. Uh, Sometimes it's okay to be upset. In fact, Jesus did that. I mean, he got upset enough to call a group of people uh, uh, whitewashed graves, uh, snakes or serpents, and even took a whip and cleansed the temple. So it's what you get perturbed about. It's what you get disturbed about that is important. And so that's what we want to talk about. Why did Paul get upset? Now, to be honest with you, I stole this title. Well, let me 
Let me rephrase that. Let me use the politically correct Baptist language. I reappropriated this title. You know, we Baptist preachers can go a long way with reappropriated material, but we can also get in trouble. Dr. Mel's Carbonell wrote a book a number of years ago by this title, but it deals with personalities, d- uh, defining what your personality type is, and then that personality type defines how you will respond to certain situations. I know that I'm a mid-D, um, and uh, I know that the other aspects, and so naturally, I react in a certain way. Now, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, he does all kind of weird things with our personalities, and he kind of flattens us out and straightens us out, but we're going to talk about, we're going to try to see what makes Paul tick, and then what ticked him off. But the first thing we're going to do, by the way, there's a lot of preliminary stuff here. So just stay, you know, we're going to be okay. Um, But let me just say to you that uh, there's a lot of upfront stuff. And we're going to close with a formula that has three words I want you to remember. After all of this, I found out simpler is better. You know, you preach a sermon with 17 points. Somebody's going to remember two of them. So... Three very simple points, one word with a subtitle for each one of them. But the first thing we want to do is we want to go back and see Paul in action, okay? The first part we want to look, scene number one is in Philippi where Pastor Jonathan preached from that, when Pastor Jonathan preached from that text last week. The second one we'll see in, uh, is in the city of Athens. Uh, two cities, Philippi. With a, with a young lady in bondage to demonic spirits. And then we'll travel to Athens, not Georgia, but we'll, all you Gator fans were getting excited, but um, we'll travel to Athens and see Paul there and see his response to what he saw in that city. Scene number one, chapter 16 of Acts, beginning at verse 16, it will be on the screen. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So you have two spiritual problems here. You have, first of all, a young lady who is under demonic influence. Let me just stop here and say something. Before we get into this, let me say something to you. We live in a culture that if you go out in culture and you talk about demon possession or demon activity, people will look at you like you just swallowed a snake. Uh, We just don't talk about those things. We don't even talk about them in church most of the time. Oh, you know, well, we have a psychological problem. We have an emotional problem. We have uh, this issue or that issue. Folks, we need to understand that a lot of what we encounter And a lot of problems that we have is caused from demonic activity. Now, I'm not one of these guys that thinks there's a demon behind every tree and behind every rock. No. But I do believe somewhere in there we need to understand that we live in a culture that is heavily influenced by demonic activity. Now, I was on a mission trip to Haiti. Haiti, you have, we, we were in our, in our quarters, and off in the distance, you could hear the voodoo drums. 
at night, which you would, you would often hear maybe sometimes about all night. Well, at least till the roosters started crowing at 2 o'clock in the morning. But anyway, uh, there, so, so we heard the voodoo, and somebody in our group said, oh, man, this is spiritual warfare. And so I'm thinking, well, what is it in Jacksonville? You know, we don't have, I've never heard any voodoo drums in Jacksonville. But I can guarantee you, friend, look around you, there's plenty of demonic activity going on in the city of Jacksonville. And we are in a spiritual battle. We're not in an organizational battle. We're not in, we're not in a physical battle. We're not in an emotional battle. We are deep in a spiritual battle where the forces of light are coming against the forces of darkness. And we were the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, which cannot dwell together to, in peace. There is conflict that's going on. So now here's what happens. We see that it is the spirit is causing this issue. It says, she followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, okay, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I commend you in the name of Jesus, name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Now, I want to let's notice something here. When Paul decided to deal with the issue, what did he deal with? Paul immediately did not address the symptom, but the source. He did not address the symptom. We, we have people who are troublemakers. We have people who commit murders. We have people who are racist. We have people who are doing this, people who are doing that. That is simply the symptom. The source is a spiritual issue. And so we have, even in the church, been putting band-aids on deep wounds for a long time when we need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle and it is against the forces that are in the heavenlies, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. And so he immediately, he doesn't turn to her and say, young lady, you need to straighten up. Or young lady, you need to do this. He immediately dresses the issue that is within her, and that is her bondage to a demon. And he calls, he forces the demon as it, in, in spiritual terms to come out. He commands him to come out. And so the demon comes out. This is what takes place. Now, it starts when Paul said, basically, that's enough. That's enough. Folks, it's okay to be upset and to be provoked by some of the trash we see around us. You know, I spent two days hauling stuff to the, the uh, trash place out there uh, on 301. And, I, you know, uh, I don't want to live there. And it's okay it smells, it's garbage. Sometimes we have to address 
the situation that we're in. And so that's what Paul does. We need to learn in our society this one simple thing. Everybody can't be right, okay? There is right, there is wrong, and everybody can't be right. The Bible says that, that we do what is right in our own eyes. The Bible says there's a way uh, that man thinks, but the end is the way of death. And so we need to understand that it is sometimes okay to get provoked about what we see. That word means this. It means to be grieved, worried, labored, troubled, displeased, offended, worked up, or as Kenneth Weiss says, worn out. Paul just got worn out. Do you ever feel like you just get worn out at what you hear in culture, what you see in social media? Now, I am not anti-social media. I want you to know that. Social media is what you make of it. And, uh, and so I'm not anti-social media. But sometimes what we see around us should provoke us, should stir our hearts. And if you and I can live in some of the situations we're called in without being moved whatsoever, then the problem is not just there, it's here. And so we must understand that. Let's move to Athens, okay? Paul goes to Athens, leaves Berea, chapter 17. We're going to read verse 16, scene, no, scene number two. When you go to Athens, uh, at that point, it was uh, on the decline uh, to some extent in the Roman Empire, but it had been the Mecca of the world. Arts, entertainment, uh, ideologies, thinking, Paul saw something quite different. By the way, Paul didn't go to Athens as a tourist. And by the way, God did not call us to be a tourist in this world. Paul went as a missionary, and a missionary sees a city quite different than a tourist. A tourist enjoys the attractions, enjoys the architecture, enjoys the fine food, enjoys a lot of other things. But a missionary goes with a heart for the gospel and the kingdom, and they see things that other people don't see. By the way, all of us have been called to be missionaries. You know, for years, we, we thought, oh, missionary, that means you're special. And, and, and I have missionary friends that are like family that are special to me. But all of us have been called to be to live on mission and to be missionaries. And so Paul goes and he gets there and listen to what is recorded about his visit. Verse 16 of, of Acts 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. What he saw revealed to him, this is a city with spiritual problems. This is a city that has it together architecturally. It has it together uh, in a lot of other ways, but this city needs help. That word means to exasperate, to stir up, irritate, or to make angry. So here's Paul, two scenes. Two scenes. And they both disturb him greatly. And so because of that, he is moved. He's first of all moved to do something 
He's moved to do something to free this girl and to confront the evil that was that had her in bondage. And in Athens, even though you know, we if you follow through the book, he goes and he and he he is able to speak and have conversations with him about the gospel, but his spirit still was troubled by what he saw and what took place. Now, I believe that his response was a result of what was in here. His spiritual DNA. By the way, everybody here has spiritual DNA. If you're a born-again believer, you have spiritual DNA, okay? God has planted something. He's designed you, and you're at a point in your life right now where you're living out your spiritual DNA. If you're being disobedient, you have a problem in your DNA, a deformity. If you are not living in obedience to Jesus Christ, if that's not the thrust of your life, then you have a spiritual DNA problem. Uh, I I have my own DNA definition. Uh, Devoted to Jesus, experiencing the new life, D, the new life and the new mission, and A is an apostolic mission. In other words, we, like Paul, have learned to live on mission. I think every believer in a general sense needs to have those three characteristics as a part of who we are. That's our DNA. And when we have that DNA, our DNA determines what we look like, how we do things. So our spiritual DNA is what makes us tick, okay? And what Paul saw is what ticked him off. And so our spiritual DNA drives us to be in such a form that there is a clash between who we are and what is around us in our culture. Now, I want you to understand. Let me just take a side trip. I, I don't think the secret to looking at our city. By the way, when Paul got to Athens, the tourists saw the city one way, Paul would see it another. When you look at Jacksonville, what do you see? By the way, I love Jacksonville. We're right now working on a plan in uh, our churches, we're hoping to get all of our churches for 60 days in September and October to love our city and serve our city in some way at the church level, at the family level, and at the individual level that we would love and serve our city. We can, we can complain and we can moan, but the way we bless our city is to love and serve it. And the way we bless our city is to engage people with the gospel. See, just like that little gal, how old she might have been, who had this spirit that these other guys were taking advantage of her to make money with. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. There, there was, there, there is, God has placed us in this city to love the city regardless of what it is in order that we might share. That young lady, her only hope was a radical transformation. Her only hope was to become dramatically changed by the power of God's spirit to come to know a new way of life and to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. 
And I believe the only hope for our city is to see a spiritual renewal and revival take place. The only, the only answer to racism is that it is a sin and that God alone, through the power of his spirit and through the blood of Jesus Christ, can save us from that. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, illicit sex, you name it. The only hope we have in our city is to become not just provoked with our city and its actions, but to give our lives in being able to share the message of Jesus Christ, taking the gospel to the streets. By the way, as we analyze our city, they tell us in in most any city in America that it would be less in some cities, but more in the South, that about 10% of any city in America are believers. That means in in a greater Jacksonville area of 1.3, million people, that if 10% of them are believers, that means there are over 1 million lost people in the city of Jacksonville, Florida. And the only hope we have of seeing our city change is to see lives change one person at a time. The only way we're going to do that is for everybody to become involved as a missionary, as a representative of Jesus Christ. I sat with a pastor, West Side pastor, not your pastor, recently. And he said, you know what? Why is it, why is it that people won't talk about Jesus? And so we sat there and we, we meet periodically. We sat there and we, we gave two or three reasons. But here's the thing. The, the problem is we won't speak out because there's no fire within us to take that message to the streets. We talk about what we are interested in, right? I mean, last November, what did we talk about? Oh, yeah, politics. And then December, politics. And then January, politics. Yeah, you bring up politics, man, you'll get a response. Make a political statement on on your favorite social media and then watch the fires burn. Yes, we talk about what's important to us. What is wrong with us is that the apostle, we don't have what the apostle Paul has. We don't have that fire burning within us and we don't have a deep passion to go where God has not been at work and to begin to introduce people to Jesus Christ. There is a need for that. So what makes him tick? Well, let's talk about we, um, what made him tick produced his becoming ticked off. I'm, I did not look up the exact meaning of the term ticked off. If it has another connotation I'm not aware of, I'm in deep trouble. Okay. But just to say to you, uh, it's being provoked. It's being angered, that kind of thing. Now, I want I want to close with three things, okay? I want you to I want you to walk away with three things here this morning. I think these three things is what drove Paul from the inside. He's like Jeremiah who talks about the fire in his bones, you know. And so what produced that fire in his bones? 
First of all, a sense of mission. The word is mission. The word is mission. And so that mission, his mission was clear. Paul understood ever since that Damascus road, when his life got turned upside down and inside out, and he got put on the right path, Paul then understood, Paul then knew, I have a mission, and that is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Later on in the 20th chapter of Acts, one of the greatest statements ever made uh, by a missionary is given by Paul. When he's meeting with the Ephesian elders, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows pretty well he's in trouble. He, you know, he's been told by the Spirit, you're going to go, you're going to get in trouble, but he's going anyway. Why? Because that inner fire drives him to obedient to what God has called him to do, and that is his mission. Listen to what he said to the Ephesian elders, and it will be on the screen as well. But I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the peace, of the, excuse me, of the grace of God. Did you get that? Paul said, I simply want to go I am compelled to go and live out my calling, God's calling on my life to complete my mission. So that is the, that's where it starts. It doesn't matter today what, what your career is, what job you have. What matters is what is your life mission. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they, they retire at age 65 and they go, gosh, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? Why? Because their job became their life. Let me solve that for you. If the mission of God becomes the driving force of your life, retirement's just a little bump on the road, okay? But if there's a passion, a holy passion, a holy discontent that drives your life, then you don't even stop. You know, you just go on to the next great adventure, it's, that's what it's about, to have that sense of mission that is beyond anything. And, and it's beyond, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, butcher, beggar, candlestick maker. It doesn't matter as long as you understand my mission is to live out my life in obedience to Jesus Christ and to proclaim the gospel wherever God places me. Mission. You can't live well without it. You wonder why we have an uptick in suicides? COVID caught people without a sense of mission and obliterated their lives. And the only way out for them, they felt, was suicide. Why is it a lot of people, you know, they, they retire at 65 and they die at 66 when they lost focus of their life. It's gone. It's gone. And so mission is important. The second word is this, passion. Passion. He fought fervently for kingdom advancement. I think passion is important. You know, if I said the word, if I said the name Trevor Lawrence, would anyone, was anybody here who knows that name, Trevor Lawrence? Oh, come on, some of you just you're lying. You, 
you know who Trevor Lawrence is, you know. Uh, they expect him to come walking down the St. John's River one of these days, I guess. I mean, you know, we felt, hey, Trevor Lawrence is coming. Our problems are over. See, and boy, we were past. We were passionate about politics in November, December, and January. And after the draft, it's Trevor Lawrence. And listen, folks, we are, when we get passionate, we just, we just let, let it all out. We talk about what's important to us. We are involved in what's important to us. I am not digging on being a sports fan. I love college and, and pro football. I mean, I, I mean, I, I watch it and too much of it, really. Uh, but passion. Everybody in this room is passionate about something. It's just, it's how we're made. We're passionate about something. Something's important to you. It's politics, it's sports, it's academics, you know. Um, it, it's, it, it's any number of things. Here's Paul's. First chapter, I mean, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul's saying, be passionate. You know, Conor McGregor finished second last night in a fight. It's not a good place to finish in a fight because there's only two of you. Okay. You can either be finished second place or you can be a loser. I mean, but you know what I'm getting. I mean, I'm sure he was passionate. I didn't, I, I did not see it. But anyway, I did, I had to check that this morning just to see. Okay, 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Listen to this, and you'll see it on the screen. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. See, it doesn't count in boxing how many times you hit the air. It really helps to hit the other opponent, you know. And so that's what, that's what really counts. Paul said, I'm not, I'm not living my life aimlessly. I, I, am, I am focused. Paul gives us, there are three metaphors he uses in Scripture that I love. The athlete, the, the um, farmer, and having spent some time on the farm, I like that, and the soldier. All three of these have something in common. Hard work, passion. You don't want to become a farmer. Well, nowadays it's pretty easy. But when I was on the farm a long, 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 long time ago, you had to be passionate because we didn't have all the fancy equipment. And so he says, I don't run, I don't box aimlessly, I don't run aimlessly, and I don't, I don't beat the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul said, I am focused. There's an, a point in Jesus' life, the story of the woman at the well. Great story of how to transition an everyday conversation into a gospel conversation, and he's 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 spending time uh, with people that she had brought back after she came to know Christ. She didn't understand that you're supposed to take a course first, and so she just went back to her village and told people about Jesus. And they said, "Well, if this gal can do it, uh, let's go see." 
And so they came, and Jesus is working feverishly with them. Well, the boys, the rest of the disciples, had been into the village to buy food, and they got a whole bunch of casseroles. That's how we knew they were Baptists. And so they come back with these casseroles, and they say, you know, Jesus, you need to eat something. They're being good Jewish boys. You need to eat something. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him that sent me. Have you ever been so focused on something, especially kingdom work, that food became secondary? I, as you can look, you can look at me and tell um, I'm pretty focused on the food part. And you know, if somebody asked me, oh, they said to me the other day, oh, uh, breakfast is the most important meal. I said, not true. The most important meal is the next one. And, uh, and, and that, that's, that's true, okay? But Jesus said I, he is so engrossed on trying to lead these people to understand the truth that he's not ready to eat. Passion. We lack passion. I, I go around and I preach, and sometimes, folks, I look out over the congregation on a Sunday morning, and my, I, can I be honest with you? And this is not present, the present company. Uh, well, not completely. Uh, and, and I look at it and I go, why are you here? You know, you probably should be checking in at the local funeral home. Uh, but because it, you see the deadness in our eyes and in our animations or the lack thereof. Folks, we need to have passion we need to be passionate about Jesus Christ. We, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the hope of America. This is the hope of our world. And we're losing the battle because we have become emotionless, passionless people going through the motions. And the world is going to hell in a handbasket around us. That needs to change. By the way, coming out of COVID is the best way to do it. This is our chance, folks, to do church like we've never done it before. To do it at a level we've never done it before. You know, because people who are going to still be struggling are going to be open to hear something about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last word is provocation. Yeah. Being provoked. Now let's go. To, let's go to that last slide. I want to show you a little, uh, a little homemade formula here. M plus P equals P with a P in parentheses. I'll explain that in a minute. What you've just heard in this message is this: that mission plus passion equals provocation. Dead people don't get provoked. Dead people aren't emotional about things. And death of that nature has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. We need to understand, driven by mission, that is served by passion equals provocation. You say, well, what's that little P in the parentheses? Put it there for one reason. 
It's one word, and you could probably guess what it is. It's the word persecution. You wonder why they were persecuted? Why they were persecuted in the, in the early church and why they're being persecuted, missionaries are being persecuted. It's not because they're more barbaric. Americans are as barbaric as any tribe on the face of the earth. The difference is we are not demonstrating the M plus P so that there is this strong, aggressive push against the advancement of the gospel. Unprovoked, unpassionate people don't have to worry about persecution. Now, the reason why I share that with you, this message I preach to myself all week long, and I've asked myself, how's my passion? I know what my mission is. I could go at it with the enthusiasm of a herd of turtles, but I need to be passionate. I was brought up with this saying, anything worth doing is worth doing well. I would change it a little bit. Anything worth doing is worth being passionate, is worth doing passionately. And when we do, there other, listen, folks, look at this. In the next 10 years in America, we're going to experience persecution if the church steps up because we're going to see a widening gap between Christianity and American culture. If ever we needed to stand up and be counted, it's today. We got a lot of young folks in this building today. I like to speak to young people. You know why? You're the game changers. We need some game changers. My generation dropped the ball. The generation following me dropped the ball. We need some people in this generation who will say, I can't go at this half speed. I want to live passionately for Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go and stand over here on the front row, and at any point, even after the service, if you'd like to talk more, I'd be glad to talk to you. First of all, about how to know Christ, how to repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior, how to escape churchianity and follow the Master, and what the next step might be to live passionately for the Lord Jesus.